恭喜发财，恭喜发财，新年快乐 ，Happy Chinese New Year! Welcome to the Jay Sheldon Show. I got my Chinese New Year shirt on, and that's about all I'm doing to celebrate, other than comforting Miko. But we'll talk about that in a minute. Coming up, Beetlejuice solves Chicago's crime problems in a most inventive way. Idiot. New Zealand may finally be released from the totalitarian rule that's been happening down there with that idiot dictator. However, right next door, Australia might be taking up the slack, and the hookers are out in Davos. As I said, welcome. <laughs> To the Jay Sheldon Show, we are live right now across the planet on Rumble.com, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitch.tv. Please, if you wouldn't mind, hit that subscribe button or follow button. It's right over there. Just click it; it's free, no cost to you, and helps the show out a lot. That's all the begging I'm going to do for the moment. But thank you very much for those of you who have followed and、uh, copied along. All right. Yes, it is the eve of Chinese New Year.、Um, the first day of Chinese New Year starts tomorrow, and so this is the big day. Everybody gets back together with their families and has a reunion dinner, and celebrates and sets off fireworks. And speaking of fireworks, how about this little girl who is sitting right out there, out of the studio door? The Miko update, and、uh, yeah, she's she's outside the. Wait a minute, let me get my picture back. There we go. She's outside the studio door right now、um, because right around eight o'clock, about the time John O'Pong's light the stream. Thank you, John O'Pong. See you in Guayla. Happy New Year! All right, round of applause for Mr. Pong.、Uh, so Miko. Uh, right around eight o'clock tonight, they started、uh, with the fireworks. Because what probably happened was they had dinner six, seven o'clock. They finish dinner, they go outside, they start firing off the fireworks. Even the little tiny crappy ass bottle rockets, you know, those bother Miko. Some people were firing off the big boomers already. Now, in a couple of hours from now, she's going to be nuts. This was her tonight on her walk.、Uh, we had a great time. We went a little extra distance around into this special area across the street neighborhood that we have here,、uh, and that's how far away when we're headed back home she she wants to get.、Uh, and the other thing is, let me just share with you.、Uh, let me close this. I'll just do this live. And you can see all the stuff on my Facebook while I go through here. Here you go. So this is her right now, with her homemade version of a thunder wrap on. But you know what? This works just as well. So right now, outside of our studio door, is she still there? Yeah, she's laying at the top of the stairs, wrapped up in this red. Well, it's red for Chinese New Year, right? 
Yeah, so she's good to go. Anyway, she is laying out there. She'll probably come in the studio itself to be near me if the fireworks start again. They they started like about 8 o'clock. They ran for maybe 10, 15 minutes, bugged the hell out of her. I put the wrap on. She calmed down. When she gets nervous and afraid, she'll also do this panting thing like, <laughs> and she was do. but now she's, she's resting, laying down, head in her hands outside the studio door. If those damn fireworks start up again, I promise you she'll be running in here. Maybe we'll get her on the show later too. Miko, you want to come on the show? Hey, you want to come in? Nah, she doesn't. She's just laying down there being scared. Anyway, I love fireworks. I really do. I absolutely love fireworks. But uh, ever since Miko came into our life, not such a fan uh, because of the way it affects her. So, I mean, you know, celebrate, do what you want. You do you. But uh, sadly, it ain't working really well for Miko. Our Miko update is brought to you by the good folks at BarkBox.com. It's a monthly subscription service you can sign up for. Go to BarkBox.com slash Miko. That's our special link. And you will get every month a box full of cool things for your dog, all themed. Every month is a different theme. You'll get uh, two toys, two bags of treats, and a dog chew. You can check the box when you order small, medium, or large dog. And you can also check the box to see if your dog has any allergies like fish, chicken, beef, whatever. And they'll make sure you don't get that in your treats and chews. But you will get an amazing assortment of toys. Your dogs will love it. The treats are all natural, good for you. You could eat them yourself if you wanted to, but don't. Or don't. Do if you want. Do do you. And the dog chew. So you'll be set for the whole month until your next box arrives. You can sign up for just one month if you want. Try them out. I promise you'll be back. A six-month or a 12-month subscription. And if you sign up for a multi-month subscription, you get a free month when you use our link. That's a $35 value, USD. So it's BarkBox.com slash Miko. Available in the U.S., U.S. territories, and Canada. They promised me this year they're looking at international shipping. It hasn't happened so far, but we'll see what happens. So BarkBox.com slash Miko is the link in our show notes. And yes, by the way, there are a few things a little different, like this camera has changed. And uh, we also have a new opening. You can check that out. We also have a new way for you to uh, try and uh, sign. Ah, there we go. Uh, This is our our link on Twitter. It's also our link on YouTube if you want to go over there and subscribe. And uh, on Rumble, of course, you can find the link in our show notes. And uh, that will... That'll take you to our Rumble show uh, where we strongly uh, encourage you to get over there and follow us. The follow button, if you're watching on Rumble, is right here. I know I don't have many followers because we just started a new channel. Jay Sheldon's account has a bunch of followers. The Jay Sheldon Show channel, not so much. So I need to get that number up. Please click that button says follow. I'm begging again, aren't I? Sorry, I didn't mean to do that. <laughs> all right, all right. It's uh, it's Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. I better not say it three times. We got so much stuff to cover tonight. This show might be longer than an hour. I don't know, but we'll see. Uh, 
This is from the postmillennial.com. The link is in our show notes. This idiot, this absolute idiot, Lori Lightfoot, how this woman ever got elected is beyond me. So there is a huge problem with crime in Chicago. It is enormous. The gun shootings, the death, the homicides in Chicago, carjackings, robberies. I mean, it's just, Chicago is just not safe. Do not go to Chicago if you don't have to. And if you do, hire a bodyguard or go armed. Because seriously, crime in Chicago is out of control. Well, Beetlejuice's idiotic plan is not to do anything about the criminals, the thugs, the morons who are causing the crime. It's to try and tell the victims what to do. Don't carry cash. This woman is a fool. Lori Lightfoot, or Beetlejuice, tells Chicagoans to not use money in order to prevent being victims of crime. The mayor suggested that those who are in fear of being mugged or robbed should avoid using money altogether. Digital transactions. Ah, here we go. Here we go. What I tell you. Here we go. There she is. Idiot. <sighs> During a mayoral debate Thursday night, Beetlejuice floated not using cash as a potential solution to the rising crime in Chicago. Never mind trying to do anything about the people committing the crimes. Talk to the victims. Mm. Suggested those in fear of being mugged uh, avoid using cash. Use digital transactions. This is, uh, I tell you what, let me turn on the uh, sound here. And this is what she had to say. Heard a lot of rhetoric here, a lot of sound bites, but not a lot of concrete solution on how we get the job done and make our residents and our workers safe. We're doing it you every thinking? single day. I think the follow-up is, and your solution is? I just explained it. We have been in Little Village working with those street vendors, understanding what the nature of the crime is, <clears throat> making sure that we're doing things in concert with them okay. to help them uh, 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 make sure that their money is secure, not use money, if at all possible, using um, okay. other forms of transactions to take care of themselves. Heard a lot of rhetoric here. So, there you go. Heard a lot of rhetoric here. Yeah, heard a lot of crap ideas about how to fight crime. And uh, let me just dump this thing. There we go. <laughs> she went on to explain her solution to rampant crime in the area was not to use money, if at all possible, and urged them to urge residents there to use other forms of transactions to take care of themselves. Reaction was largely negative, as usual, because most people, thinking people, hate this woman. I have no idea how she got elected, although it's Chicago, so maybe I do have an idea how she got elected. Same way the fake governor of Arizona got elected. Uh, failing to put forth any realistic solutions. This is from uh, Twitter feed. Uh, C.J. Wilson says, yeah, Okay, violent crime, game act, gang activity based on street vendor honeypots. Chicago is so doomed. <laughs> uh, another person said, or have they tried just not being poor? I hear that fixes a lot. <laughs> and uh, Sam the Cat 
clearly setting the stage for the digital dollar. Well, there you go. There you go. As usual, pushing that damn digital dollar, it never fails. Unbelievable with these people. And, uh, yeah, it's just, it keeps going on and on and on. Lori Lightfoot, what a freak. What else have we got here? Oh, well, here's another one for you. You're going to love this one. Like I told you, we got a jammed show tonight. There's so much going on on this Chinese New Year Eve. Uh, where are we headed? There we go. Okay. YouTube, Facebook. I'm going to tell you right now, don't be giving me no strikes. Don't be giving me no hits because this is from the New England Journal of Medicine. Okay. The New England Journal of Medicine. That's where this article comes from. Natural immunity, which has been largely ignored by most of the media. Natural immunity offered more protection against Omicron than three vaccine doses, and that is according to a study by the New England Journal of Medicine. Importantly, the Cornell University-funded study found that both natural immunity and vaccines, to be fair, offered strong and durable protection against COVID-related hospitalization and death. News reports say the Biden administration is currently weighing a plan that would allow all adults to receive a second booster, citing concerns from White House Chief Medical Advisor Dr. Anthony Death Fauci. Wait, I thought this idiot was gone. About the spike in hospitalizations, extremely contagious Omicron subvariant, blah, blah, whatever bullcrap. And, uh, Discussions of a potential fifth shot is already underway. Unbelievable. It's true immunization wanes. New scientific research from the New England Journal of Medicine suggests natural immunity. Look, if you don't know what that is, who doesn't know what that is? You, If you had COVID, you have built up the antibodies against COVID. That's what natural immunity is. It lasts longer than immunity acquired from vaccines. And even that's questionable these days, not to mention the side effects. The results are a mixed bag for the vaccine. The best news is any form of previous immunity, whether induced by previous infection or, or vaccination is associated with strong and durable protection against the COVID-19 related hospitalization and death. So there you go. Articles in our show notes tonight. If you want to check it out, you can uh, read all about it. Read the, uh, read the misinformation <laughs> from the jackboots. Oh, this one's cool. I love this. Hang on a second. Let me just uh, pop this thing in here. There we go. This is from uh, Roger Stone. Love or hate Roger Stone. The guy's the guy writes some good stuff. And this jackbooted totalitarian 
The jack, this is the headline, the jackboot of authoritarians tramples free speech in New Zealand. New Zealand, the current prime minister, has actually banned newspapers and magazines that don't support the government narrative. There she is, and she's resigned. Good. Goodbye. Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out. Nobody likes you. You're an idiot. The five eyes in geopolitical positioning have always been the United States, the UK, Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. All English-speaking, all of their original constitutions flow from the Magna Carta, and to assume that all five are legit democracies, unfortunately, is a misnomer. Canada, Australia, and now sadly, New Zealand are currently governed by authoritarian regimes with Canada's war of repression against those who protested mandatory orders to take the vaccinations on full view when the government crushed the truckers' convoy. Trudeau's government aggressively censors social media and is moving vigorously to restrict all gun sales. Having begun with the demand to stop the sale and ownership of handguns, now blossoming into a full-fledged effort to prohibit the sale of all firearms. This is Canada, including long rifles and shotguns. Australia's been unbelievably draconian in its repression of those who refuse to be vaccinated or those who insist on free speech rights to question the vaccine. Roger Stone writes, in New Zealand, the current prime minister, who, like we said, has now resigned. I heard, by the way, the education minister, I just saw this earlier tonight, may become the new PM. I don't know this guy. Hopefully he's a lot different than Jacinda. She is, by the way, a protege of the World Economic Forum, head honcho Klaus, the Nazi Schwab. Uh, he, uh, com- she compared free speech online to a weapon of war in a speech of last year's UN General Assembly. She recently banned the publication of New Dawn magazine, a freedom-oriented journal, which had actually reported on the illicit effort by special prosecutor Robert Mueller to frame Roger Stone for non- the non-existent Russian collusion hoax a consequence of the totalitarian mindset now dominant in New Zealand. So, thankfully, this woman has resigned. With any luck, whoever takes over will have uh, more common sense than this witch did. And... A follow-up, <laughs> Australia, right next door, social credit scores. We talked about this. We talked about digital IDs. We talked about the dangers. We talked about them having all your information, being able to shut you off from life. Well, welcome to the new world order, Australia. It's happening Social credit has been introduced in order to access the internet in Australia via your digital ID. 
you need to have 100 social credit points of identification to use social media. And that's not all. The police, law enforcement in Australia, will have access to your accounts, including private messaging. How do you like them apples? You think you're a free country, Australia? Think again. Not anymore. It's a news report. Hang on, let me turn on the sound here so you can check this crap out is being considered by the federal government. For more, Nine's Oliver Haig joins us live in Adelaide. Ollie, how will it work? Lila, good morning. Essentially, it will work the same as a passport. Australians forced to submit 100 points of identification, like their driver's licence or passport, when using social media accounts like Facebook and Twitter. Now, police would have access to those social media accounts, and it's all part of a crackdown on online abuse. Now, users could be liable for defamation suits or even criminal prosecution, and it's all part of a plan hoping to deter people from engaging in bad behaviour. Now, the recommendation were handed down by a federal parliamentary inquiry. They're reforms that are being considered by the Morrison government, with the chairman saying there is merit to remove, to remove uh, the veil of being anonymous. Layla? How about that? Welcome to the crap show, folks. And you see how they guise it? Oh, it's for your own good. It's for your own safety. And there you go. Social credit scores, digital IDs in order to access the internet. And you know that's not the scariest part? That's bad enough. But the scariest part is the law enforcement agencies will have access to your account and your private messages. This has to stop. This has to stop. If uh, the World Economic Forum has anything to say about it, they love this kind of crap. The Great Reset. Yeah. Well, the Great Reset apparently is attracted in Davos going on right now. And is it over yet? I don't know if it's over yet or not. But uh, there are lots of people in Davos because all the elites from the WEF are there, who are set up and making a ton of money off of all of these influx of private jet setting. I want to say something and I'm not going to. I'll just go to the article from the Daily Mail. Links in our show notes if you want to read the whole thing. Prostitutes have gathered in Davos for the annual meeting of the global elite where, de- get this next part, where demand for sexual services skyrockets during the economic summit. Prostitutes report a huge surge in business during the annual gathering of leaders. Escorts are booked into delegates' hotels alongside business executives. Sex workers dress in business attire in order to rub shoulders with the global elite. 
The global elite, by the way, this webpage is full of ads. So just, you know, if you go to the link to read the whole story, fine. Tackling the world's, allegedly the world's greatest problems, gender inequality at the Davos summit, fueling a surge in prostitution. Demand for sex work skyrockets every year at this meeting of the world leaders and business tycoons. What? Who jet in from all over the world to rub uh, shoulders with each other. Escorts are booked into the same hotel as as high-powered bosses and their employees during the five-day summit, which started on January 16th. One sex worker named Liana says she dresses in business attire, there she is, so she doesn't stand out among the executives. She's a hooker. Prostitution, by the way, is legal in Switzerland. This is Sarah Balthus, a sex worker and writer, staying at a hotel near Davos during the summit. And my understanding is not in this article, but my understanding is the average price for a hooker in Davos that these people pay for is 2,500 USD. Do the math. 2,500 USD. That's like, in, in Malaysian ringgit, what would it be, about 10, 12,000 ringgit? I mean, more power to the hookers, I guess. They're making a fortune. Take a look at who their customers are. <laughs> I'm telling you. Why do we put up with this crap? Hazel Lisa liked the stream. Hey, Hazel, thank you. Appreciate it. Be sure and uh, subscribe or follow whatever platform you're watching us on. Hey, by the way, if you're on uh, Rumble, please, it's right over here. There's a follow button. Click that follow button. Helps the show out a lot. Doesn't cost you anything. Don't forget, research shows most people don't click it. So don't be one of those people. Click the follow button. It's over here. And thank you. Really, really thank you. Truly appreciate it. All right. AI. We've talked about AI a lot on this show. We know we hate, pretty much hate AI. It's like digital IDs and all that other crap. All that other bull crap. AI same kind of thing. It does some incredible stuff, but it's being used in ways to affect yours and my freedom, which should never happen. It's happening. Well, the Marines have found a way to use AI to detect people. However, two Marines have found a way to defeat artificial intelligence by hiding in a cardboard box. I'm not kidding. Two mar- <laughs> Take a look at this. Two Marines defeated the AI detection system of a military robot by hiding in a cardboard box and walking right up to it. Not kidding. It's a very tiny little article. The link I put in our show notes tonight, so you can actually read it yourself. Uh, the Marines would try and defeat the AI system uh, they uh, they parked the robot in the middle of a traffic circle and the Marines had to approach it undetected, starting from a long distance away. If any Marine could get all the way in and touch the robot without being detected, they would win. 
I wanted to see uh, game on what would happen. Eight Marines, not a single one got detected. They defeated the AI system not with traditional camouflage, but with a clever trick. They got inside a big cardboard box and slowly walked up to the thing. It didn't identify them as being human. It's a cardboard box. And when they got right next to it, they reached out, boop, and bopped the robot and completely (laughs) defeated the AI system. Nice work, military intelligence. I can see our enemies now running around in uh, cardboard boxes. (laughs) Man. Unbelievable. All right. (laughs) Um, You see, when they go high, you go low. Works every time. (laughs) Oh, man. Um, All right. Uh, Good news and bad news here is our our last story before we get on to our book. We're reading White Fang, by the way. We'll have that coming up in just a minute. But we recently had an incredibly bad uh, landslide here. We have landslide because, well, mostly because they've been clear-cutting the forest and they're not doing anything about it, and it's going to continue as long as we keep continuing to cut the trees down. These idiots just can't seem to put two and two together. Nevertheless, there were a lot of lives lost. I forget in the end how many, 20, 30-something lives lost in a big mudslide uh, here in Malaysia in the mountains. Uh, one of the big heroes of the rescue operation were the uh, dogs from fire rescue that were brought in. Now, dogs have kind of a bad rap here in Malaysia because some people believe in Islam you're not supposed to touch dogs or be around them or near them. There are rules and regulations and all that stuff, but... You know, when I'm out walking Miko, I meet Malay folks who are can't wait to come up and let their kids pet and play with Miko, and other ones who completely run in the other direction. So, you do you. Anyway, we learned a very valuable lesson about just how valuable the dogs are in this country when they assisted in both rescuing and finding, sadly, folks who did not survive, victims of that landslide. They've been celebrated here in the media Uh, We did a small story about it back when it happened about a month or two ago. And I saw this from My Animals. The link is in our show notes. Please click on it and please share it because it is absolutely heartwarming. And it it meant a lot to me, being a, a guy who owns a dog he loves very much. This guy wrote, I can't take him to the beach for a walk. Because it annoys you or disturbs your vacation. I have no right to rent a house if I have a dog, nor can I take him on public transportation. However, I can take him up into the rubble to find you after an earthquake, in the woods after you got lost in the mountains and had no map or GPS, under the snow, because you took a detour forbidden off the track in the water, because despite the red flag, 
You entered the sea, and your life is in danger. And finally, yes, he's just a dog, but he or she will find you, and he or she will save you. Dedicated to all those of you who do not love dogs. By Nicholas Alicon. Brilliant. Brilliant writing. Such a great uh, picture to accompany that story, too. Please don't forget our fur friends and all the good work that they do when we need them. All right. You ready for some book stuff? Uh, by way of explanation, if you're new to the show, we have read books on this show from the almost the very beginning. What is this, our 315th episode? My goodness, we've been doing this for almost a couple of years now. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, we've read The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, The Little Prince, Alice in Wonderland, so many amazing classic books. They come to us from the Gutenberg Project, gutenberg.org, and uh, we read a chapter at a time or part of a chapter if it's a long one, and we get all the way through beginnings to end of the book, and then we move on to a new one. Um, we have been reading White Fang here on the show for the last uh, several streams. We're up to, I think, uh, part two, middle of chapter three, I believe is where we are. Anyway, uh, White Fang is the, uh, where is it? There we go. Okay, just popping the book up now. Um, One Eye had finally, after learning his lesson the hard way, gotten that porcupine. And all the quills drooped down and the body relaxed and moved no more. Let's continue on with White Fang. With a nervous, shrinking paw, One Eye stretched out the porcupine to its full length and turned it over on its back. Nothing happened. It was surely dead. He studied it intently for a moment, then took a careful grip with his teeth and started off down the stream, partly carrying, partly dragging the porcupine, with head turned towards the side so as to avoid stepping on the prickly mass. He recollected something, dropped the burden, and trotted back to where he'd left the ptarmigan. He didn't hesitate a moment, he knew clearly what had to be done, and this he did by promptly eating the ptarmigan. And then he returned and took up his burden. When he dragged the results of the day's hunt into the cave, the she-wolf inspected it, turned her muzzle to him, and lightly licked him on the neck. But the next instant she was warning him away from the cubs, with a snarl that was less harsh than usual and more apologetic than menacing. Her instinctive fear of the father of her progeny was toning down. He was behaving as a wolf father should, and manifesting no unholy desire to devour the young lives she'd brought into the world. Chapter 3. The Grey Cub he was different from his brothers and sisters. Their hair already betrayed the reddish hue inherited from their mother, the she-wolf. 
while he alone, in this particular look, took after his father. He was the one little gray cub of the litter. He'd bred true to the straight wolf stock. In fact, he'd bred true to the old one-eye himself, physically, but with a single exception. And that was, he had two eyes to his father's one. Here we go with the fireworks. The gray cub's eyes hadn't been open long, yet already he could see with steady clearness. And while his eyes were still closed, he'd felt, tasted, smelled. He knew his two brothers and two sisters very well. He'd begun to romp with them in a feeble, awkward way, and even to squabble. His little throat vibrating with a queer, rasping noise, the forerunner of the growl. And as he worked himself into a passion, long before his eyes had opened, he'd learned by touch, taste, and smell to know his mother. A fount of warmth and liquid food and tenderness. She possessed a gentle, caressing tongue that soothed him when it passed over his soft little body, and that impelled him to snuggle close to her and doze off to sleep. Most of the first month of his life had been passed thus in sleeping, but now he could see quite well. He stayed awake for longer periods of time. He was coming to learn his world quite well. His world was gloomy, but he didn't know that, for he knew no other world. It was dim-lighted, but his eyes had never hard to adjust themselves to any other light. His world was very small, its limits were the walls of the lair. But as he had no knowledge of the wide world outside, he was never oppressed by the narrow confines of his existence. But he had early discovered that one wall of his world was different than the rest. This was the mouth of the cave and the source of light. He discovered it was different from the other walls long before he had any thoughts of his own, any conscious volitions. It had been an irresistible attraction before ever his eyes opened and looked upon it. The light from it beat upon his sealed lids, and the eyes, the optic nerves had pulsated to little sparkle-like flashes, warm-colored and strangely pleasing. The life of his body and of every fiber of his body, the life that was the very substance of his body, and that was apart from his own personal life, had yearned towards this light and urged his body towards it in the same way the cunning chemistry of a plant urges it towards the sun. Always in the beginning, before his conscious life dawned, He'd crawled towards the mouth of the cave, and in this his brothers and sisters were one with him. Never in that period did any of them crawl towards the dark corners of the back wall. The light drew them as if they were plants, the chemistry of life that composed them demanding the light as a necessity of being. And their little puppet bodies crawled blindly, chemically, like the tendrils of a vine. Later on, when each developed individuality, became personally conscious of impulsion and desires, the attraction of the light increased. 
They were always crawling and sprawling towards it, being driven back from it by their mother. It was in this way that the gray cub learned over attributes of his mother that the soft, soothing tongue, in his insistent crawling towards the light, he discovered in her a nose that had a sharp nudge administered rebuke, and later a paw that crushed him down and rolled him over and over with swift, calculating strokes. Thus he learned hurt, and on top of it, he learned to avoid hurt. First, by not incurring the risk of it, and second, when he had incurred the risk, by dodging and by retreating. These were conscious actions, the result of his first generalizations upon the world. Before that, he'd recoiled automatically from hurt, as he'd crawled automatically towards the light. After he recoiled from hurt, because he knew that it was hurt. He was a fierce little cub. So were his brothers and sisters. It was to be expected. He was a carnivorous animal. He came of a breed of meat killers and meat eaters. His father and mother lived wholly upon meat. The milk he had sucked with his first flickering life was milk transformed directly from meat. And now, at a month old, when his eyes had been open but for a week, he was beginning himself to eat meat, meat half-digested by the she-wolf and disgorged for the five growing cubs that already made too great demand upon her breast. But he was further the fiercest of the litter. He could make a louder rasping growl than any of them. His tiny rages were much more terrible than theirs. It was he that first learned the trick of rolling a fellow cub over with a cunning paw stroke. And it was he that first gripped another cub by the ear and pulled and tugged and growled through jaws tight-clenched. And certainly it was he that caused the mother the most trouble in keeping her litter from the mouth of the cave. The fascination of the light for the gray cub increased from day to day. He was perpetually departing on yard-long adventures towards the cave's entrance, and as perpetually being driven back. Only he didn't know it for an entrance. He didn't know anything about entrances passages whereby one goes from one place to another. He didn't know any other place, much less a way to get there. So to him the entrance of the cave was a wall, a wall of light. And as the sun was to the outside dweller, this wall was to him the sun of the world. It attracted him as a candle attracts a moth. He was always striving to attain it. The life that was so swiftly expanding within him, urging him continually towards the wall of light. The life that within him knew that it was the one way out, the way he was predestined to thread. But he himself didn't know anything about it. He didn't know there was an outside at all. There was one strange thing about this wall of light. His father, 
he'd already come to recognize his father as the one other dweller in the world, a creature like his mother who slept near the light and was a bringer of meat. His father had a way of walking right into the white far wall and disappearing. The gray cub couldn't understand this. Though never permitted by his mother to approach that wall, he'd approached other walls and encountered hard obstructions at the end of his tender nose. Oh, this hurt. After several such adventures, he left the walls alone. Without thinking about it, he accepted his disappearing into the wall as a peculiarity of his father, as milk and half-digested meat were the peculiarities of his mother. In fact, the gray cub wasn't giving to thinking, at least to the kind of thinking customary of men. His brain worked in dim ways, yet his conclusions were as sharp and distinct as though achieved by men. He had a method of accepting things without questioning the whys and wayfores. In reality, this was the act of classification. He was never disturbed over why a thing happened. How it happened was sufficient for him. Uh, thus, when he bumped his nose on the back wall a few times... He accepted that he would not disappear into walls. In the same way, he accepted that his father could disappear into walls. But he was not in the least disturbed by the desire to find out the reason for the difference between his father and himself. Logic, physics, they were no part of his mental makeup. We'll continue on with this uh, story of the Grey Cub coming up on our next show on Monday night. Uh, this is so cool. I'm loving this book. Uh, John London wrote it back in 1906. It is a classic tale, and I uh, hope you're enjoying it, too. It's uh, It's been a lot of fun to read. All right, we got uh, lots going on tonight. Uh, Chinese New Year is here. You just heard again with the fireworks in the back. They're going to start again about an hour from now. I've got to go comfort my little girl because uh, she's not really happy about the whole thing. <laughs> so don't forget to follow and subscribe if you are uh, watching on wherever you are. Rumble.com, especially our new channel. Even if you're, you're following me on the Jay Sheldon account, that's fine. Great. Thank you. But we're now on the Jay Sheldon Show channel. Uh, so if you wouldn't mind, right down there is a follow button. Just Grab your mouse and click follow. Good to go. Thank you. I will see you again on Monday night, 10 o'clock Malaysian time. Gong hevachoi, gong si fachai si enguayla. Happy New Year to you wherever you may be across the planet. Happy Chinese New Year. I'll see you Monday. This is the Jay Sheldon Show. <laughs>